Welcome to the Christian Outlook, the weekly radio program that sorts through the issues in our fast-changing world in a way that honors your Christian faith. Sponsored by the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Georgine Rice. This week, on Mother's Day weekend, we'll appreciate real-life motherhood. What was memorable for me was the incredible strength of this mother and how she was able to take her loss and turn it into a ministry to help other people. A motherhood that is grounded in biblically informed reality. We live in a broken world, and so it's going to not always feel like good work. We'll gain insight on the uniqueness of the mother-son relationship. We know that one of the deepest desires a mother has is to connect with her boy. And Shannon Bream will bring lessons from the women of the Bible. These women deal with problems centuries ago that are very familiar to women today. We've got all this and more. I'm Georgine Rice, and I'm glad to be with you once again. I hope you have a blessed weekend. And for mothers, we offer a special blessing. I'm coming to you from Portland in my home station of KPDQ. You can hear my own program live each weekday afternoon on 93.9 FM here in Portland and online via our website at kpdq.com and also through the TuneIn radio app. Thanks for joining us. We're going to do something special today for mothers. The Mother's Day holiday this weekend is really an opportunity for us to express gratitude to all have invested in us, to those who are building up the next generation in a country and a culture that seems to be working so hard against anything resembling traditional motherhood. For many women, I know Mother's Day is just hard. Joni DeBrito of Focus on the Family has created resources for those who struggle when Mother's Day hurts. Joni joined Don Crow on WAVA in the nation's capital. What are some of the types of loss that really may well make Mother's Day anything but a happy day for a lot of folks? Well, obviously, for some mothers, they may have lost children. They may have just recently gone through a divorce and um, be in a custody situation such that their children are not with them. They may have had a difficult relationship with their own mother and just feel some of the grief of a relationship that never was the way that they expected. And then certainly we have tragic things like uh, mothers who are dealing with the suicide death of a child or um, the loss of a child or the disappearance of a child. Those are all things that can make Mother's Day really difficult. And those might be things that are not quite as common, but very common are the issues of unfulfilled dreams or maybe having children that are really struggling. Maybe they're struggling with mental health issues or physical health issues, or maybe for some reason they've decided they don't want to have a relationship with their moms. So um, it's already hard, but then when you're in this time when you see other people around you being celebrated or being able to have good times with their children and you're not able to, that can be really devastated for mothers. Well, I want to also get your thoughts on something that I think a lot of us pastors can relate to. Certainly, it's been true for me every year as we pastors, I think, appropriately speak on some form of a Mother's Day message. And at the same time, I have that inner concern and sensitivity that there are women sitting out there who either, number one, did not have a good relationship with their own mother. So for them, it's not a very pleasant thing. Or that woman who sits there and has wanted to be a mom for a long time Mm -hmm. and not able to be. Uh, What advice can you give us in terms of addressing that sort of thing? 
Well, for sure, those who have dealt with or are currently dealing with infertility feel the sting of not being a mother when they see other mothers and their children around them. And I think what's most important for all of us to do is in our place of celebration to also just be sensitive and aware of the other people around us, families around us, mothers around us. And, you know, if you take the time to look, you'll notice that there are people who appear to not being doing so well. And I think that that gesture of kindness and empathy and support goes a very long way. Most moms who are struggling understand and even may appreciate the importance of mothers celebrating with their children. But if for any reason they are experiencing a loss that's making Mother's Day difficult for them, it really helps when someone acknowledges that. It really helps when someone says, I know this must be hard for you. How can I support you or how can I pray for you? Talk about some of the healthy ways to do that, to help people cope with loss and sorrow or yourself as someone who may find Mother's Day for some of the reasons we've mentioned, very painful. Uh, What are some ways in which a person, a woman can cope or a man for that matter, but can cope with this uh, sense of loss? Well, it starts out by being really honest with yourself. If you are the person who is struggling to be able to give yourself permission to grieve and to be sad and to express that loss to trusted people in your life. And if for some reason you don't have someone in your life that you can talk with, there are counselors available. I can talk in a little bit about some resources we have at Focus on the Family. But hopefully you'd have pastors or friends or other moms that know your story and are there to help and just to listen and lend a listening ear. And that really is what other people need to do for moms who are struggling for whatever reason is be there to be able to hear the sadness, to be able to hear the grief, to be able to um, really validate and understand that grief for someone who is struggling and not feel as if they have to have a magical answer because it really doesn't exist. There's not, there's no perfect answer you can say when people are hurting. If I say this, the pain will go away. We all know that that's not going to happen. But when you are just being with someone and listening to them and they trust you to let them cry or vent or whatever it is they need to do, that's very powerful in a relationship. And uh, Joni, talk if you would about what -hmm. are some of the more memorable stories that you've had to help people through at a time like this? You know, I think the most memorable story that I've I can think of is someone who is dealing with the loss of a child to suicide. Suicide, uh, for your listeners, if they don't know, is now the second leading cause of death for children uh, about six years old. Unfortunately, it's that young, um, or maybe 10 years old to about the age of 24. So it's something that is out there, and certainly that's been the most touching example of grief that I've walked through with someone because obviously it's one thing to lose a child to anything, but that added sting of suicide is so devastating for a family. And so I think that that was probably the most memorable thing. And I I think what was memorable for me was the incredible strength of this mother and how she was able to take her loss and turn it into a ministry to help other people. Wow. What is the best way when our friends and family come around someone who's grieving or they're really not feeling very celebratory as uh, either they've lost a mom or, as you say, lost a child or whatever, and they really aren't interested in, uh, you know, all kinds of 
happiness and flowers and all that on Mother's Day, but they have friends and family who, well-meaning, want to celebrate the day with them. What do you advise? I think it's important for the friends and family to give them the choice of whether they want to be involved or not. And if they don't want to be involved, to be okay with that, to just say, we really want to celebrate you, to let those moms know we care about you, we love you, we want to celebrate the the fact that you are a mom, even though the circumstances are not good right now. But how does that feel to you? And to really respect that if they say it's just too hard this year, that you can respect that and let them know you'll be thinking about them and praying about them. And they'll certainly be, um, you know, in your mind and also ask them, is there anything else that you'd like to do? Would you just like to maybe go to lunch and, and not talk about the subject of being a mom or what have you? So Give them a choice as to how you can be with them on that day or not with them if that is what they choose. The work of motherhood is yeoman's work that just doesn't end. And with that work comes fatigue. How do you find joy in the journey? Courtney Rizek is contributor at the Gospel Coalition and author of Glory in the Ordinary, Why Your Work in the Home Matters to God. She joined John Hall and Kathy Emmons on Word 101.5 FM in Pittsburgh. Courtney, when uh, when you have a baby for the first time, it's hard. You can't, I guess, you know, the process of having a baby or adopting a baby or however it is that you become a mother mm-hmm. is so different those early days than actually learning how the whole process of mothering works. Like if you're thinking about mothering a five-year-old or a 10-year-old mm-hmm. or a 20-year-old, there's just, there's really no way to prepare for that. Yeah, I had twins first, so I feel like it was even, probably even exponentially more I had no category for one kid but I had twins first so I felt like it was like standing in front of a fire hydrant of small children (laughs) when I had them yes exactly now this article that you wrote for uh, the gospel coalition Courtney you Mm -hmm. say something that I thought was really interesting and I thought I experienced this myself in spades where before I was pregnant I thought Mm -hmm. that being a mom and all the things I would sacrifice, you know, I had a great job, but I was going to stay home and I was going to devote myself to motherhood. And that was going to be a Mm -hmm. sacrifice that was going to be worth it. And I was going Mm -hmm. to love it and it was going to be awesome. And I was just going to feel Mm -hmm. like I had made the right choice. And, Mm -hmm. but then once it happened and once I was home and I didn't have a, a career anymore and all of a sudden I, I didn't like it. I mean, I wanted yeah. to like it. I want to say that I liked yeah. it. You know, mm-hmm. I want to be one of those people that was like, oh, no, I loved being with my kids and it was awesome. And I did. And I and I do feel mm-hmm. like I made the right choice. But I have to tell you that it was very, very hard for me at the time. Yeah. And I think that's a, a big struggle for uh, a lot of women. And I think in large part, it's because we've made it too much and we've not talked about the reality of life in a broken world. So we've we've elevated certain vocations for men and women that are the best thing you could ever do. And then when you get them, that it's always supposed to feel fulfilling. And we just fail to recognize the fact that we don't live in, we don't live in Eden any longer. And we don't live in the new creation. Mm-hmm. We live in a broken fallen world where living life with a bunch of sinful people is really hard. And that's who our children are. And it's not always going to feel fulfilling. Work is hard and it's broken by sin, by living in a broken world. 
And I think that's what I try to touch on that in my book, Glory in the Ordinary, because I think that's what we're missing in helping women understand and men understand with work in general. Just because it doesn't feel good doesn't mean it's not good work. Hmm. We live in a broken world. And so it's going to not always feel like good work. That's good. I like that. Just because it doesn't feel good doesn't mean it's not good work. Yes. yeah, Yeah. Because we don't live in God is still we're still called to work. We're as part of being an image bearer of God, but it's going to be hard. It's, we're, it's infested with thorns and thistles, as Genesis 3 says, and we see that all the time in our work. Coming up... We know that one of the deepest desires a mother has is to connect with her boy. The unique challenge and opportunities within the mother-son relationship when the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Georgine Rice. Emerson Egerix is an expert on male-female relationships. He's focused a big part of his career on male-female relationships within the context of marriage. His best-selling book is titled Love and Respect. Well, much of what he's learned about a wife's communication with her husband is relevant for a mother's communication with her son. Emerson Egerix was a guest on my program. We're very excited about this message because... My wife, Sarah, put me onto this in many ways, as well as the many women who attended our Love and Respect Marriage Conference. They began to apply some of the things we say there to their boys, and uh, they were uh, blown away by the response. And uh, your listeners may be thinking, well, wait a minute, my son needs to be respecting me, and did I hear correctly that you're saying that I as a mother ought to respect him? And and, uh, we get that. But we know that one of the deepest desires a mother has is to connect with her boy. And uh, from age four and on, that little precious baby seems to now become that little boy. And that sense of connection, 4, 14, 24, uh, that connection isn't there to the extent that she wants. And she's forever trying to figure out, how can I better connect? And uh, we began to get these letters from mothers who were saying, I'm kind of blown away by the sense of connection I have as a result of what we now refer to as respect talk and how boys respond to that in a way that mothers don't always imagine. One of the early chapters in your book is titled Understanding What Respect Looks Like to Boys. And I think for moms listening who have young boys, that might be a good place to start. What does it look like and what are we talking about as a mom is relating to her son? Right. Well, the University of Washington studied 2,000 couples for um, 20 years. And they said when a woman is upset, her eyes darken, hand on the hips, the sour look, the roll in the eyes, the sigh. And when estrogen kicks in, the word choice of contempt is incredible. And uh, mothers are not intending to be disrespectful, but in a, in a boy's world, a man's world, all of those they refer to as gestures of contempt. Whereas let's say you have a teen daughter and a teen son, and on Tuesday night the mother's very upset with her teen daughter. 
she will vent. She will come at her because she's burdened, she's concerned, she's hurt, and she'll come at that daughter. Uh, but eventually they'll both be on the bed, legs crossed, talking, and the daughter will say, Mom, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. No, honey, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said what I said. Will you forgive me? Yeah, Mom, I forgive you, but will you forgive me? And they, they do what I call bringing it full circle, and they'll seek each other's forgiveness, hug, and they're good to go. The daughter understands where mom is coming from. That next night, that mother will say the same thing, bent the same way with her boy, her teen boy, and he shuts down because he interprets that exchange differently than the daughter. The girl intuitively knows mother is trying to connect, trying to resolve this so that they can be friends and move together and and be happy together, whereas the boy filters it through the respect grid and pulls back. The research points out in marriage, for instance, that 85% of those who withdraw and stonewall during a conflict is the male and not the female. Uh, my mother withdrew, but that's because the 15% of women, it's a fear thing. But women have this compelling desire to connect. They move toward. They confront to connect. They don't confront to control. But the boy is interpreting it through a different grid because the man is in the boy, and he ends up withdrawing. So it raises the question, how do you bring him out? How do you get him to open up more? I have a whole chapter devoted to that, and I think the liberating thing for many mothers is to realize you just have to introduce a couple of vocabulary words, and here's the beautiful thing. Mothers are very good at vocabulary. They are very good at communicating with words, and so it's not a matter of her not being loving. We want her to continue to love on her boy, continue to express her love for her boy. That's within her nature to do, and she needs to keep doing that, but when she senses that he's shutting down, she's losing him, he's deflating, and she can see it. It's kind of like standing on his air hoses, I say. When she senses that, she may need to ask the question, do you feel I'm using this topic as an opportunity to send you a message that I don't like who you are, that I don't respect who you are? Pull him out. Ask the question and, and be willing to let him share, well, yeah, I think you are. Well, son, I think I believe in you more than you believe in yourself, and I do respect who you are, but I don't respect what you've done. Now, how do I you know, discipline you here without you thinking I'm just using this as an opportunity to send you a message that I don't want to honor you as a human being? I mean, we've got to talk about this because I, I don't want you to continue to behave this way. I mean, he'll engage that in a totally different way. This is not a formula. This isn't going to make your son walk on water, but the connection will be there in a way that many mothers have said they thought they long ago lost. If you're a woman, whether you're a mother or not, whether you think motherhood is in your future or not, I do know one thing. You and I are called to be faithful in our service to the Lord as women. That is, using all the unique qualities of our womanhood to honor and glorify Him. Shannon Bream, a face and voice familiar to many through her work on Fox News, wrote, The Women of the Bible Speak, the Wisdom of 16 Women and Their Lessons for Today. She joined my colleague Bill Bunkley on Faith Talk WTBN in Tampa. Why is it important today with, uh, in many aspects, the family just being ripped apart by society? Mm -hmm. Why is it important to you to be able to talk about these moms and daughters that together really made biblical history for the Lord? You know what? I 
think what's a beautiful thing about all of the characters through the Bible, but certainly these women we have in the mothers and daughters of the Bible speak, is that some of them are really faithful and on track and trusting the Lord all the time. Uh, But a lot of them are like the rest of us who make mistakes, who make bad choices. But um, God can work through that too when we are humble, when we ask for his forgiveness. We think about some of the most flawed people in the Bible um, show us what it is to kind of turn our lives around and go back to God and say, please help me clean up this mess. And, And we see God use that over and over and again. And I think that translates to today. I mean, these women deal with problems centuries ago that are very familiar to women today. People who were fleeing um, famine and war and danger. People who were dealing uh, with infertility and women dealing with widowhood and financial ruin and and physical problems. And so I think being able to see that those problems uh, have been on the charts as long as humans have been on this planet and that God was working in them, aware of them, and, and very aware of our suffering, I think for me, these women are very comforting in that way that we can see the good decisions and, and learn from the good decisions they made, but also learn sort of a cautionary tale from the ones that weren't initially good decisions as well. Mm. Shannon Breen, give us an idea. I think there's about nine women and then their daughters and their families. Is there one you could just give us a, a point or two that really stood out for you that really made this whole book come alive on how that could mean that other women may be struggling like they were mm-hmm. back then? Yeah, you know what I love is that we look at relationships that were not only mother and daughter by blood, but also by marriage or spiritual mothers and daughters, because I think we're not all going to be moms, uh, and not everybody who picks up this book will be a daughter, but we can all look for people around us that are either our spiritual mentors, and I've been so blessed to have those in my life, and now I find I'm also, I'm often in the position of um, counseling newer Christians or younger women um, who are just looking for advice on relationships and spiritual growth and career and all those things. So we looked at names. Naomi and Ruth through that lens who, uh, you know, they're bound together by family and that their mother-in-law and daughter-in-law, but then they're bound together in widowhood that they both suffer. And so to think about those times and these women wouldn't have a financial provider, they also wouldn't have a physical protector, and they lived on the very edges of poverty at best in that situation. But they stuck together. They committed their lives to each other and to God, and they weathered all of these things together, um, the, the worst possible scenarios. And the book ends up closing with God's divine intervention that Ruth and Boaz have this beautiful love story, and they end mm. up in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And to show that God is is not unaware of suffering and that he is able to work through the most difficult, crushing circumstances uh, of our lifetime, I just it was beautiful to me to see these women pledge that they were going to stick together and they essentially became mother and daughter um, by pledging to share faith and their lives together through the very worst valleys. Coming up, the challenges and the very special blessings of parenting a special needs child. I think sometimes we discount the fact that caring for our kids is serving Jesus. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. In just 10 minutes, I can zip through 10 stories that help me start my day and help shape where I go with The Mike Gallagher Show. Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. I'm Georgine Rice. 
As we take time today to look deeply at the ways in which women can honor the Lord through motherhood, I believe there's a special place in heaven for mothers of special needs children. I at least know this. Parents who sacrifice in an absolutely extraordinary way for their special needs children deserve tremendous respect. Carrie Holt is just that kind of mother. She collaborated with two special needs moms on her book, The Other Side of Special, Navigating the Messy, Emotional, Joy-Filled Life of a Special Needs Mom. I talked to Carrie on my program. You were not uh, obviously parenting this disabled son alone. You had your husband who was parenting with you. And then your sons, what impact did this have on your family, on your husband who also had expectations before the diagnosis and your sons who were expecting another brother who would be just like they are? How did that work in the family dynamic? So I think for my husband, like he's just real even keel and he just kind of takes life as it comes. And the day we walked out to the car after I saw my OBGYN, you know, my baby doctor while I was still pregnant and I'm crying. And he looked at me and he said, why not us? Hmm. And I thought, you're crazy. <laughs> and but he said, Carrie, we have God and we have our faith and we have our church and we have our family. Why not us? Because we have everything we need to walk through this journey. And so as far as our boys, at least in that time, they were pretty much protected by a lot of it, just from their, you know, naivety being young and things like that. I would say through the years, one of the things that I have loved about our family and our, and our kids, and we ended up having a daughter after our son with special needs, she's three years younger, is that they just treat our son Toby like he's a normal kid. You know, they fight with him. They push his wheelchair around. They, they, when they were little, they used to ride his power chair places and you know, we would go do things. It's just always been a normal thing for them. And I've had some struggles of like, you know, all the focus is on Toby. My son has had 61 surgeries Mm -hmm. throughout his life. And so we've spent a lot of time in the hospital. And I think one of the biggest things for special needs parents is just balancing your child, kids needs and your marriage, and then your other kids, if you have other children and learning to say, you know what, I have to give what I can give. I still need to take care of myself and I have to leave the outcome in God's hands, just like the boy with the five loaves and two fishes, just like him turning water into wine. I just have to take my water to him and say, okay, God, this is what you've asked me to be faithful with. I'm going to be faithful and you're going to have to make it into something beautiful because I can't do it all. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Let me ask you about caretaker fatigue, because I can imagine that the time that's required to care for one special needs child, while at the same time raising three other boys, has to be an ominous task. Talk a bit about fatigue and how you manage just the sheer volume of time and attention required to to take care. Yeah, so it's definitely real. And you just have to learn how to say, okay, I'm going to release this to Mm -hmm. someone else's, you know, grasp, whether it's My husband's going to take care of this medical care tonight. And even if he doesn't do it exactly the way I would do it, it's okay. He's still taking care of him. Or this neighbor or this friend is going to run our kid to soccer practice while our son's in the hospital. And that's okay. And so you definitely have to learn that you just, you cannot do it all. And that it is okay to say no. And honestly, that just requires, at least for me, it has required just walking with Jesus and saying, what do you want me to handle today? Like, what are you asking me? Because the truth is, I think sometimes we discount the fact that caring for our kids is serving Jesus. Mm-hmm. 
it's serving God and the little tasks and the ways that I can show my kids that I love them and show my son God's love and that he's unconditionally loved and cared for, especially my son with special needs who needs all the care. That's the best way that I can show God's love to him and show others just that hope and that where our strength is coming from. Well, let me ask you how this kind of life as a special needs mom has impacted your devotional life. You seem to suggest that without clinging to Jesus and having that strength, that you wouldn't be able to do what you do in in raising your disabled son as well as the three other sons. Well, I mean, I would be lying if I said, you know, I'm always in the word every day. But I think one of the things I've learned along the way is Again, it's just those small little things we can do. It's, you know, opening your eyes in the morning and say, Lord, be with me today. Your mercies are new every morning. Uh, Focus on one scripture. It's also been learning just prayers of release of saying, God, these are all the things that I'm worried about today. These are all the things I'm caring for. And it might not even be things that are going wrong. It's just the stuff you have to take care of, right, Mm -hmm. as a mom. Yeah. But Lord, I release this to you because I know it's yours. But I think the key is just faithfulness and consistency and not discounting all the little drops of truth that you're pouring into, whether it's listening to a podcast or listening to the Bible on the app or a radio show or something that can continually feed your soul. That's the key is continually feeding your soul. Coming up, the prodigal. That desire to see a child return can become a kind of an idol. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment, stay with us. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm Georgine Rice. The tumultuous times we live in have a significant impact on the parent-child relationship. There are many this weekend who are walking through Mother's Day without a relationship with their child. There are a host of reasons for this estrangement, but all of them are painful. Michelle Von Loon tells her story of praying with the mother of a prodigal with John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Michelle, I think one of the things that's hard to accept, whether you have babies or you have kids that are, you know, well on their way, is that they don't come with a guarantee. Yep, they don't. And in my own parenting journey, I have leaned hard on the lessons of a person that came into my life when my kids were young. Mm. And I am grateful because I've I've walked a long journey with a prodigal in my own family. And because of that, I get all the wrestling. I get the grief. I get the self-recrimination. I get the confusion. And I get the, but we followed the formula, the Christian formula. We tried so hard and we were so intentional. And again and again, we learn as parents, even if our kids, you know, color in the lines and are basically, you know, good kids that are following the Lord, we learn that um, we don't have as much control as we thought we did. You got that right. Okay, so Michelle, won't you tell the story of your friend Elizabeth, how you met and the journey that you took together? I 
was invited to a wedding. I was standing in line to use the ladies' bathroom, and Elizabeth was standing in front of me. It turns out she was the mother of the groom. And once we exchanged names, she followed it up with, do you know Jesus? She was that direct. There was there was no wiggle room in that. And I said, yes, I do. What I didn't say was, I'm struggling. I'm a young mom. I wish I knew him better. I don't know how to pray. I had all of that stuff swirling around in my soul. Well, she heard my answer, but I believe that the Holy Spirit also prompted her to go deeper with me. And we did. We jumped into the deep end of the spiritual pool and talked for an awful long time at that wedding. And that began a relationship um, I didn't realize. I didn't have words to be able to say, this lady is mentoring me, but she was. And I learned quickly that one reason she was so committed to God and so intense, part of it was the wiring. She was just a, a naturally intense person. But part of it was she'd been down a long hard road with a son who had been drug addicted and eventually had become homeless. And out of that sorrow, out of that suffering, she said, that's where I learned to pray. I, I'd grown up in a, a believing family. She'd always had a relationship with God, but not the kind of desperate banging on heaven's door relationship that I experienced with her as I prayed with her and talked with her and listened to her heart as she um, continued to kind of persevere for her son, a son she wasn't even sure for a long time if he was even still alive. Oh, Michelle. Oh. You know, I've I've had friends like this as well. You know, my kids are too young at this point to even have made a decision like that. But I just, I know all of the self-doubt that just assails the parent, you know, Mm -hmm. like why, what, you know, I try, why did, I should have tried that. You know, maybe if I would have done this when they were four, or maybe if I would have done this when they were in seventh grade. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when my own journey with a prodigal child started when um, that child was in their late teens, I I went through all that and then some cycling through every question, every bit of self-recrimination. At one point, my husband said to me, you know, I was parenting them as well, but for some mm-hmm. reason, you know, it's, you're funneling a, a lot of that, a lot of that sorrow onto yourself. And it was, it was a little bit of a jolt to remind me this can continue to confuse and divide our family because um, the grief, the grief is large and the grief was long and the grief is long in my life. But Elizabeth taught me that at some point there's going to have to be a place of surrender because that desire to see a child return um, especially if they're in a place where they're doing themselves and the world some serious harm, can become a kind of an idol. And if I can um, thank God for one specific thing that I learned from her as she contended for her son over this decades 
journey was um, that she had to come to terms with, would she still love God even if she was never to experience the return of her son? Would she still be willing to love and serve him even if there was no happy ending that she would ever be able to witness or live through? And now I still think it's amazing that she was willing to share part of her day with me. She didn't need to do that. It was a big day for her family. They were all gathered, but that place started. And it was really a reflection of her, of her character and her, her passion for God. Um, I, I spent one day with her just, and I said, just show me what, what your days are like. Show me how you live. She was in her 70s at this point, and everywhere we went, it was conversation and prayer, and it was hard to say where one began and the other ended. It just it, it just flowed from her, and she. we prayed for her son. We prayed for my kids. We prayed for her, our extended families and the city of San Francisco and the people we saw in the street, but really the, the truth was that she just, it, it was all part of the same conversation. There wasn't uh, kind of a stop, drop, and roll, like right. we often kind of come to prayer and say, okay, now everyone pray, and then we put on our solemn voice, and um, she'd, she'd long eclipsed that kind of um, formality in her relationship, partly because she'd been through you know, all of the drama of interventions and, you know, being stolen from and being threatened and all of us that kind of went along with her son's long, long journey. Coming up. If you are standing and waiting for a prodigal to come home, you aren't waiting alone. A few more minutes with Michelle Van Loon when the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. It is critical we keep AM radio in all cars and all trucks. Hey, Sean Hannity here. More than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio. It is the backbone of the emergency alert system, and that keeps us safe in dangerous times because when cell and Internet services are down, AM radio might be your only lifeline. Now text AM to the number 52886. Tell Congress that we need AM radio in our cars. Text AM to 528. 8-6 today. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm Georgine Rice. The pain of parenting a prodigal can push mothers and fathers to seek peace and rest when things are really not okay. And yet, Christ is enough. Let's return for a few more minutes of Michelle Van Loon with John Hall and Kathy Emmons. So, Michelle, I mean, this relationship was pre-internet. You and your friend mm-hmm. Elizabeth, you know, you, you met in line uh, going to the ladies' room at her son's wedding. You exchanged letters. You poured out your heart. She poured out her heart. Eventually, you go to meet her in her hometown of San Francisco. So then but, what happened, uh, Michelle? Sorry, what, what happened then? I mean, you, you knew her when she was an older woman, her son David, uh, the prodigal. Was there a moment? Did he come back? Did she, I'm assuming she's not here anymore. Did she die a no. happy woman? Yeah, um, she died a happy woman because she loved God. And she had had surrendered her expectations and her hopes and her failures 
um, her son, her kids um, had had a, a difficult growing up. They lost not one but two fathers. Both died prematurely. Um, and, you know, that's a lot of trauma. And it was a lot of loss for her to process as well. Um, she, The last time that I spoke with her, she was kind of on the verge of going into um, assisted living, extended mm-hmm. care. Her, her body was failing. And she said that she saw that her son had kind of stayed with his program. He was um, repentant, um, you know, and expressing a desire to um, try to put his life back together with God. I don't, I don't know how that turned out. Um, I know that roller coaster from my own experience of, um, you know, those words get said sometimes and they, they don't always materialize. Sure, but I hope for the best for him and um, to this day. But for all of us, for anyone who's listening who has a prodigal, and there are a lot of us, a lot of us that do right now. Um, it, it's kind of shocking whenever I speak. Um, I, I'll ask, you know, how many of you are struggling with this? And um, it's not even the thing that I've written a lot about because it's not always my story to tell in my family. But um, definitely when I speak, I'll ask. And it's, um, it's sobering to see how many hands get raised and how many tears get shed. We are not alone. Thank you for joining us for The Christian Outlook. I hope you enjoyed today's focus on and deep appreciation for mothers and motherhood. This life is short, so whatever your stage in life, whatever your circumstance, I hope you find Christ as your portion. For all the mothers we love, thank you, and God bless. Our program has been brought to you in part through our partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. For executive producer Russell Shubin and producers David Pouchon and James Blend, I'm Georgine Rice. Join us again next time for the Christian Outlook. She went away in a sleep. 